Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. We don't know how your, your great-great-grandfather got all of that land, but I can tell you he didn't get it from sleeping in. Hey folks, welcome back to the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. This is Mark Devine, your host. Thanks so much for joining me today. And I'm not going to waste your time. We're going to have a really interesting conversation with Darren K. Roberts before I introduce his background a little bit more. Let me remind you that in this interesting time that we're living in, it's a great opportunity to really up our game as leaders, as parents, as human beings. And it just so happens that the book that I released literally a week before we all got locked down is basically positioned to help leaders step up and deal with their emotional issues, their emotional shadow, their biases, and the, the fear-based condition reaction that holds them back from really tapping the full potential of their team. So it's a leadership book, but it's a team-building book, and it's a personal development book all wrapped in one. And I've gotten some phenomenal feedback on it, and I think it's a great book for this time. It's like I said, it was kind of custom-built for the next generation of leadership development, where we have to go deep and look at our own bullshit and deal with it in order to bring out the best in our team. Otherwise, we're the limiting factor. So let's not be that. And um, wow, you might have some extra time on your hands. So check it out. Staringdownthewolf.com is uh, where you'll see more information about that. That's our little page and also some free video training. Or it's available, of course, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. So thanks a lot. Appreciate your support there. Okay, so my guest today is Darren K. Roberts. Uh, He's a former NFL coach, uh, author of a book called Call and Audible. Let me pivot from Harvard Law to NFL coach. Super stoked to learn more about that. And he's the founding director of the Center for Sports Leadership and Innovation at the University of Texas. He hosts a popular podcast called A Tribe Called Yes. And uh, Darren, you coached at Kansas City, Detroit Lions, Cleveland Browns. Welcome to the show. Tell, Tell us a little bit about your uh, your early life and, you know, what got you kind of going in this direction? No, thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. So, yeah. you know, I'm a I'm a fifth generation East Texan, uh, born and raised in a small town called Mount Pleasant. Sure. And my dad, Baptist minister. And, uh, you know, one of the earliest experiences I remember was he took me to a a small church called Walnut Grove Baptist Church. It was a little kind of country church out in Carthage, Texas. And we go there, we go to the cemetery behind the church and there's a headstone there for my great, great grandfather, uh, Bill Roberts, born 1840, died 1912. And we have a record of him owning 160 acres in 1870. 
cool. This is the first time that he sort of emerges from historical record is is in this deed. And my dad says, you know, we don't know how your your great great grandfather got all of that land, but I can tell you he didn't get it from sleeping in. <laughs> and, uh, so that set the tone for me, Mark. That was the beginning. Um, you know, I had I had plans of of being governor of Texas. So you know, went to UT, was set on going to Harvard Law School, applied, got waitlisted four years in a row, finally got in, and thought I was on track before working a football camp. Yeah. Well, let's just hold up right there. Let me go back a little bit. How many uh, you had siblings? So one older sister, uh, there were nine years that separate the two of us. So okay. um, just the two of us. And it's interesting because my my mom and my dad each have 10 brothers and sisters. So I grew up with 20 uncles and aunts. Um, <laughs> you know, it was Man, chaotic. Man. I mean, Holidays must have been a total chaos. Uh, just a free-for-all, you know, fist <laughs> fights and rolling around on floors. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think... I think that the childhoods of my parents probably convinced them that they wanted to downsize considerably. Right. So there were just two of us growing up. And so you became like a quintessential achiever. I don't want to say overachiever because that's, that has a negative connotation. Like it, I mean, tell me your dad, you know, set the tone for you. He obviously was a, as a parent, you know, really impressed upon you the importance of hard work and, you know, all the, all the things that parents want to do. And you really, you really took that on. You didn't rebel at all. You, did you, did you, what were like the challenging parts of your upbringing? You could just kind of like skip past all that and went straight to Harvard. So let's go back a little bit. You know, um, I doubt it was that simple. It, it was, it was a, so, so my dad was a, was a minister, but also he was a, a sole scientist with the USDA. So he would, he would test the soil in parts of East Texas for acidity. And so I, I kind of watched that um, sort of that work ethic growing up. My mom was a third grade teacher for 15 years. And then I remember her going to night school to get her master's. And so she would drive 45 minutes Monday through Thursday it would take me to um, the University of Texas at Tyler, small school in East Texas. Um, she did that for two years, got her master's, and then she became an elementary school principal and did that oh. for 17 years. So, you know, in my, in my family, it was religion and education, and there was very little room for for deviation uh, <laughs> between those two guideposts. So, you know, my, my dad was nice but strict. It was yes, sir, no, sir. You had chores, you did them. And, um, you know, I, I really credit them for one thing. You know, I had a lot of friends who kind of saw sports as, you know, their ticket or the way that they were going to make it big. Mm-hmm. And I never had any illusions, Mark, growing up that that was going to be it for me. Like for me, my parents said, listen, it's going to be all academics for you. We don't care that you only need a 70 to play sports. You're going to have to make straight A's for you to be eligible in this home. And uh, that was just the place that I grew up in. And, you know, I resented it then, but, you know, at the tender age of 41, I can really look back and right. appreciate having that kind of support. So you played football in high school and then obviously in college or how, how did you get interested in football? Yeah. You know, so football for me was a way to hang out with the guys who looked like me 
at school. Mm-hmm. So I was in this gifted and talented program and they separated us. You know, once we get into high school, you had this GT track, they called it. And uh, I remember being, you know, one of two black males in the class. But obviously my experience on Sunday at church was anything but that. And so sports for me, mm-hmm. I was I was above average, you know, decent speed. I, I studied the game, played high school football four years there. You know, Friday Night Lights, which has sort of made the um, mm-hmm. Texas high school football mythology what it is. I mean, that was the way it was in my town. There were 12,291 people. Um, the place shut down on Friday nights. And, you know, I, I labored on junior varsity and made it to varsity my junior year and, and found a way into the starting lineup my last year. And well, let me tell you, Mark, that was because of, of studying and knowing how to diagnose plays. Mm-hmm. It wasn't due to my 40 yard dash time. I can tell you that. So, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was um, had some great coaches, had had some coaches who really cared about us, really wanted us to to glean more from the game than. X's and O's, and it, it was probably one of the most pivotal experiences of my life. I never had any illusions I would play afterwards, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it definitely set the stage for the rest of my life. Yeah. And how did you get interested in politics? Yeah, you know, my, my parents took me, so it's a five-hour drive from my hometown of Mount Pleasant to Austin, where I live now. Mm-hmm. We went... We came here for kind of a vacation, and I remember taking a tour of the state capitol building. And I can remember looking up into the rotunda, seeing all of the portraits of the the governors sort of working their way up to the top, and thinking, "Man, I, I want to be one of those one of those folks." Right? It's interesting, right? Like some of these. Sometimes like the imagery is so strong that it just grips you. And I wanted to help people. But I also just remember like standing in that place, in that building at that time and thinking, I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. I'm curious right now in retrospect, whether you're happy you did not get into politics. <laughs> well, my wife is happy. That's for sure, Mark. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Um, because talk about a shit show. No, man, it's a shit show. Is putting it mildly. I tell you what, you're being you're being kind, um, right? You know, I, I am. You know, I, I tell you what, I think that, and we'll talk about this. You know, what? While I was in law school, I worked a football camp to reconnect with a buddy of mine who was an actual coach. So he was a coach in high school, and it was my summer, the summer before my last year of law school. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Hey, man, you got a couple of weeks." off in the summer. I'm like, yeah, it's like, let's go to the University of South Carolina. And I've got to work this Steve Spurrier football camp, but you can just ride with me. We can catch up. So I get there. We're sitting in a room, Mark, and uh, Coach Spurrier walks out and he's like, all right, guys, one of our volunteer coaches didn't show up. Uh, can anybody fill in for him? So in <laughs> <laughs> your hand shot up or, or did you think well, it? it wasn't, it, it wasn't, Quite so quickly. It took me a little while to convince myself. I'm looking around. I'm thinking to myself, I mean, damn, I, I was a first team all district strong safety. Um, I played high school football. I can do this. So I raised my hand. Meanwhile, my buddy's like, if you, you get us, about? he's like, man, you better not get us kicked out of this damn camp. I'm like, don't worry about it. We're good. We're good. Don't worry about it. Um, he's like, hey, he goes, uh, 
what's your name, coach? I say, um, uh, Coach Robert. He's like, all right, Coach Roberts. <laughs> He's like, well, where do you coach? I'm like, oh, damn it, the plot thickens. I said, well, right. um, Mount Pleasant High School. It's like, oh, that's great, Mount Pleasant High School. He's like, all right, man, you got group six. Like, yes, sir. Had no clue what in the hell he was talking about. And turns out group six consisted of 66th graders, okay? Nice. None of whom had any talent, athletic talent whatsoever. I mean, it, it was it was one of those deals where, you know, like the parents buy the kids, like, oh, you're going to have the summer football camp experience. And right. I always tell people, you know, being on the other side of coaching, if you ever, you know, to all of your listeners, if you ever have to pay for a college camp, there is a 95.7% chance that your kid is not getting recruited. Right. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you got a receipt, there's a good chance the kid's not on the recruiting list. Put it into the fantasy column, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all of my kids have receipts. So it was it was a hell of an experience for those three days. I bet. And so you're a junior at Harvard Law School now, or this is between your junior and senior year. Yeah, right? so it's between my second and last year. Yeah, my second and third year, yep. Oh, second and third year. That's right. Okay. Yeah. You don't really do junior and senior in law school. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> So, and then um, this experience obviously had a profound effect on you. So you, you go back to school and you're cranking out becoming a lawyer and tell us about your, you know, transformation or your, you know, what you wrote about calling an audible, you know? Yeah. I try to always, you know, periodically sort of take a, an inventory of how I'm feeling. And I just noticed that the three days of that camp, it was the first time that I did not have to set my alarm clock to get up. <laughs> You know, I I was just excited every morning. You know, at, at night I'm on YouTube, I'm watching Deion Sanders DB drill film and taking notes. I went to uh I go to the local Walmart, I get a bucket cap and I get a whistle, you know. I think I'm looking somewhat official. But just being around those guys, you know, you had kids in this camp from the right side of the tracks, the wrong side of the tracks, you had kids you know, their parents didn't shop at the same grocery stores or go to the same kinds of churches. But it just reminded me of how, you know, once the whistle blows, nobody gives a damn about socioeconomic status and what race you are. You just got 11 guys trying to execute a play. And um, that, that experience really for me, Mark, I think shifted my view of public service. Like I, I saw coaching as a new form of public service and uh, decided that I, I had to get in, man. Man, I love that. When you're talking about that kind of blindness toward any type of cultural distinction or identification, I experienced that in the SEAL teams. I and mean, we had people from all walks of life, you know, rich, poor, white, black, you know, every color you can imagine, you know, super nice guys and, and and some guys who were kind of a pain in the ass. And yet when, when it came to the mission and the team, like we were all in all the time and everyone was equal. It was all about just yeah. performance. And it's such a rare thing. And It's right. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, with the exception of the military and sport, I can't really think of many other settings in this world where you instantly, you know, when the light switch flips, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, all you care about is getting it done, right? And then, and there's no room for like discussion, debate. Uh, you know, it's like, right. listen, it's time to go. You know? Get over your shit. Let's go. <laughs> you know, in a, in a sense, this COVID nineteen crisis, it, metaphorically or even in a very real sense, is sort of like that. It's like a it's a giant wake up call for us to come together and solve these, you know, some pretty intractable issues. You know, problems. Yeah, we got. We can't like go back to like the old stories about you know race and and inequality because we're all equal when it comes to the virus we're all equal when it comes to the economic disruption i mean small businesses is basically the engine and we've just been shut down for most part not everyone but a lot of them and everyone else is scrambling to pivot and so we're all in this together so it's sort of like that isn't it like the mission is real now like so let's come together and figure this shit out yeah, I was talking, I was having a conversation with my oldest son, he's nine, and, um, you know, he was, he was talking to me about, you know, we were watching the, the press conference around, like, d- the declaration of war, right, against, against COVID-19, and he's like, is this like war? And I said, you know, it is and it isn't. I said, you know, in war, you've got planes, you've got soldiers, ships, I mean, you, you kind of... You can see the enemy. Usually. You can see the enemy, right? <laughs> this this thing is invisible. And I said, even though it's disproportionately affecting, you know, African Americans and the poor, which isn't surprising because they're the most vulnerable when you come to these kind of situations. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, w- when the Prime Minister of Great Britain gets COVID nineteen, I just let you know, it, this thing doesn't care. It it, it, it it is not checking, you know, W twos. And W9s and, and, you know, keeping a list. I mean, so it's, I think it's almost a universe's way of forcing us, even though we're in this. And I I tell people, I say, listen, I, I hope that we can really adhere to physical distancing and not social distancing, because Mm -hmm. I think in many ways, this is forcing us to almost build closer social connections because we're all legitimately in this thing together. I agree. It's a huge opportunity. Don't you see it yeah. that way? Or do you see it that yeah. way? It's an opportunity for us to grow individually and also to grow through by becoming more connected and more uh, compassionate to our fellow humans all across the globe, you know? And and my sincerest desire is that we don't slide backwards when this, you know, it recedes into the distance, right? We usually, you know, we use it as an opportunity to leap forward in our consciousness and our connectedness. I'm with you. I think, I think, you know, I, I wholeheartedly agree. If, if we as individuals or as a, as a society go back to business as usual, once this thing dissipates, then, you know, shame on us. I mean, I this is, fail, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is, this is about, a, uh, I mean, I always tell people no one had this on their fridge in December of 2019. Like no one thought 2020 would look this way. Um, <laughs> It was not anyone's vision board. Let's put it that way. No, no one's vision board (laughs) had a pandemic on it. If so, then um, tell them to go somewhere else, right? No one had this up on the vision board for sure. Hey, folks, I want to tell you about a coffee alternative that I really enjoy that has medicinal mushrooms and adaptogens. It's got caffeine, but one-seventh as a cup of coffee, and you get the sustainable energy without the anxiety or jitters or the crash of coffee. It's got... Turmeric for inflation, cinnamon to suppress sugar craving, 
cacao and chai for mood and energy, lion's mane for focus, cordyceps for your physical performance, and chaga and reishi for immune and stress response. It's loaded. It gives me energy and focus without those jitters you get from drinking coffee. They donate a portion of each month's revenue to the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, which is important to me because we support vets with post-traumatic stress, and those things help with depression. The team at Mudwater is giving you a special code, Unbeatable Mind, where you can receive 20% off your order at their website. Their website is mudwtr.com. That's M-U-D-W-T-R.com. Get 20% off using the code Unbeatable Mind. Yeah. Let's get back to your story a little bit. So I, I can see how this would be a very inspiring moment, but how do you go from coaching six graders to thinking that's going to translate to an NFL career when, you know, you were heading off to be a lawyer? Yeah. You know, I was, honestly, I was a bit delusional, right? I, um, I knew there was this experience that really moved me and I don't know why I thought I was going to get a shot, but my my thought process at the time was, look, I'm going to graduate from law school, number one, but I'm going to write a letter to every team in the NFL, to most colleges, and just ask if I can volunteer. And mm-hmm. let's just see, you know, with, with the exception of some time, the cost of envelopes, you know, paper and, and a stamp. I'm not going to lose much. I'm just going to see what comes up. And, you know, 31 of the 32 teams rejected me. So it's like, Mark, I throw an envelope in the, uh, in the mailbox and it's like, I go back the next day and the rejection was there, you know, chargers, no Patriots, no dolphins, no. And, um, and then finally got my, my yes from from Herm Edwards of the Chiefs. Hmm. And did you ask him why he said yes once you got to know him? So he told me, he said, listen, I don't really read my mail. And his assistant just happened to put my letter on his desk. And it was at the top of the pile for some reason. And uh, I think it had a sticky, like something like, you got to read this. And... <laughs> He said, I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, this guy is either insane or extremely driven. And, you know, both qualities will help you in the NFL. So let me give him a call. And um, I mean, I, I, I'm still, you know, one of my mentors, extremely indebted to him because, you know, 32 teams, those positions are rare. Each team brings in two interns per year. And one of my first jobs after I got on full time was opening mail. You know, we would get 40 letters on average a day from people across the world wanting to get in. So just okay. just really fortunate he gave me a break. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. And you had, I mean, so this was an internship where you learned how to coach. Because, I mean, so far your coaching experience is limited to this two-week camp, right? Yeah. So he, he basically said, listen, here's what's going to happen. Um, you're a training camp intern. And uh, he, he he's like, look, here are the terms. No pay, no benefits, 18 hour days. I'm like, all right, sign me up. I'm in. Awesome. <laughs> and he said, listen, here's the thing. Here's your job description. So he hands a blank sheet of paper to me. 
<laughs> and I'm like, what the hell's going on here? I said, okay. He goes, read between the lines. <laughs> he goes, Listen, whenever anyone needs anything, you're the guy. I don't care what time of the day it is, what time of the night, where you are. If someone needs something on this team, you're the guy. And uh, with that, you know, that's how I got started. So, you know, picking up lunch, picking up breakfast, wiping down whiteboards. You know, every morning I would walk around to the 13 assistant coaches offices and kind of knock and say, hey, just want to know if you need anything. And for the first couple of weeks, they'd cuss me out and slam the door and tell me to get the hell out of there. And slowly but surely, I started getting assignments. You know, I'd hold the dummies for the offensive linemen during practice. So I was a punch. I was a literal punching bag um, for part of that time. And but it was great. I mean, I, I can't even, I think what Herm understood was the only way that I was going to learn the game was just to absorb as much information to be quiet, sit in the back of the room, take notes. He's like, listen, at, at no point during this experience will I see you without a notebook and a pen. Mm. Um, and so, man, I still got those notes. I've got reams of paper where I just sat in the back of the room, listening to coaches talk about technique, strategy, philosophy, and, uh, just soaked it up. Hmm. And so what, what did that look like after this one, you know, this first internship So back or what, you know, did you go somewhere else? Yeah. So we get to the end of the season, we went four and 12, which, you know, as you know, is not a good record. Um, Black Monday rolls around the NFL, which is when everybody gets fired. And uh, the head coach fires four assistant coaches. Hmm. So my clo- my my office was this converted closet. We had torn the door off the hinges. <laughs> and uh, secretary comes by and she says, hey, Coach Edwards would like to see you. I'm like, shit. Yeah, uh-oh. I mean, I'm watching these assistant coaches walk into his office. Mark, they come out with two things. They've got a security guard and a dolly. (laughs) And they've got 45 minutes to clear their belongings out of their office and leave Arrowhead. So after watching this procession go down, I'm like, damn it, man. I'm like, can you even, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, can you even get fired from an internship? Like, is that even, is that a thing? I mean, I had not signed a piece of paperwork in six months. Um, so I walk in, he sits down and says, listen, man, um, appreciate all of your contributions. I'm like, damn it. He's starting with a compliment. It's over. Yeah. He says, listen, here's your first NFL coaching contract. There were 16 pages to it. Mark, I flipped to the back page. I saw a line for my name. I signed it, put a date on it. He's like, oh, oh, oh. he goes, didn't you take contract law? I was like, yeah. <laughs> I said, coach, listen. I understand when I have leverage and in this situation, I have zero, none. So I'm not going to argue any terms in this contract. I just want to get to work. So I worked there. I coached there for two years. My defensive coordinator took me to Detroit, coached with the Lions for two. I went to West Virginia for two, coached on offense and defense those two years. And then my last stint was with the Cleveland Browns in 2013. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So, what were some of the like the biggest ahas or insights you had during that you know really formative period of your you're actually being in a, a coach you know on an NFL team yeah. across these three these three franchises that you know you you've carried forward and now you're teaching people or kind of have have been uh, foundational to your work now yeah I think um, 
the first thing that I noticed was the insane work ethic of the elite. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Gonzalez with the Chiefs, Calvin Johnson, the Detroit Lions. So, so here are two guys who, you know, out of the womb, they've got the genetic code to be tall and big. Um, and if there were any two players in the league at their positions who could have just sort of shown up on a Sunday and still been really damn good, like those guys could have done it. Mm-hmm. But Tony Gonzalez did 500 push-ups and sit-ups in the hallway between meetings every day. He caught 200 balls on the jugs machine before practice. For every ball that he dropped at practice, he did 50 uh, catches on the jugs machine after practice. You know, Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron, this guy would get the script for all the plays we would run in practice that day, come in the morning and walk through the routes for each and every single play by himself. One of his rules was no one could be on the practice field when he was doing this. He would just walk through and visually go through those routes. So, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I noticed that. Oftentimes what we see in terms of performance, we see the end product, right? We see someone reaching the IPO stage or winning some award, mm-hmm. but these the truly elite performers have this fidelity to the process that is that it, you know, from a psychological standpoint, it is it is damn near insane, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's also with coaches. So I think that was one takeaway. I think the second piece is that you learn so much more when you shut the hell up, (laughs) Um, to put it blank. You know, I I was coming from probably the most challenging educational school on the planet. I mean, the first year of Harvard Law School is like a damn, you know, hazing meets you know, all the evils in the world and they're just trying to see who wants to stick around. <laughs> you know, like who's crazy enough to come back for a second run. And, uh, but I realized that in the football world, that experience didn't carry any damn weight. Like there, there was no cachet. The players, not neither the players nor the coaches cared about that experience. All they wanted to know was every single day, like, how can Darren help us to get better? Mm-hmm. And the only way I got better was by being quiet, absorbing information, being strategic with my questions when I had an opportunity to ask them. Mm-hmm. I think that oftentimes, you know, we're kind of in a society where everyone's trying to one up someone else and get the last word in. That really showed me sort of the value of buying your time, listening you know, right. taking notes, reading back through your notes, like really going as deep as possible into your craft. I love that. You know, if I could just kind of pause there, because I had a similar experience. Uh, you know, I was a CPA, certified public accountant from, uh, and an MBA from NYU, not hmm. quite as just as Harvard, but you know, it's definitely usually in the- Oh, come on, man. <laughs> and then, then I joined the SEALs. Uh, when I was 26, I turned 26 in SEAL training. And uh, when I finished training, I went to SEAL Team 3 and I got into a platoon where I was the third officer. Normally there's two officers, but we just happened to have 
you know, a few extra officers. And when I got there, they said, okay, you're going into Alpha Platoon. You're just going to be an FNG, just like all the enlisted guys, even though that was 26 year old MBA CPA ensign, you know, newly minted ensign in the Navy. I was an FNG and that's a fucking new guy. <laughs> it was the best experience of my life because I just got to be a shooter. I just got to sit and listen. And just like you as an intern or, or a new coach, I just kept my mouth shut, eyes wide open, journal by my side, and just kept learning. And um, it was mm. it's a great lesson. I, I, that's where I learned the whole idea of, you know, show up every day, empty your cup because, you know, you don't know nothing. <laughs> I knew a lot about being, you know, a lot of a little about being a CPA, but nothing about being a SEAL and mm. matter, right? Rank doesn't matter. Degrees don't matter. In fact, there was a, another guy, you'd be appreciate this too, someone who kind of followed your path, but into the SEALs. He was a Harvard Law graduate who basically ditched law and came into the SEALs as an enlisted warrior. And he was honor man of his class. What? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Wow. Wow. Similar kind of transformation. You know, he was probably in his last year and he's like, screw that. It's post 9-11. I'm going to go fight for my country and became an elite warrior as, as a Harvard Law grad. Damn. Damn. Anyway, so that's the point. Shut up and listen. I love that. That's yeah. so powerful. Empty the cup. And um, at what point does that, does that, you know, is, is that like a universal principle or is it a point where you finally get to be an expert and share your wisdom and knowledge? Yeah, it took me two years. So I, I did that for two years. Mm -hmm. And then my defensive coordinator, a guy named Gunther Cunningham, um, he went from the Chiefs to the Lions and calls me up in the middle of the night. He's like, hey, listen, you're on the 8 a.m. flight to Detroit tomorrow. Uh, you're you're going to be my assistant defensive backs coach. So you're, you're going to coach, you know, help coach the corners and the safeties. He's like, everything you've learned from watching us and, and being with me for the last two years, now it's time for you to teach. And, uh, that's, that's when it, that's when it flipped for me. And, um, I, I can, I can tell you that I probably would not have been in a position to do well that first true coaching opportunity with the lions had I not embraced you know, the mindset of empty the cup every single day mm -hmm. uh, when I was with the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. What were some of the failures that you had in this process and that, how did you overcome them? And what was your, you know, kind of your mantra or your process for dealing with the challenges and the failures that are inevitable? Yeah, I can think of some of my first assignments. And um, I remember we were our season opener in 08 with the chiefs was against the Patriots. We were going to go to Foxborough. And um, my job was to create the scouting report for the Patriots offense. So I had to watch four of their games from the previous season, kind of chart tendencies and diagram each play. And so I diagram it must've been around uh, about 240 plays and it's a Monday, you know, game week, the Monday before that upcoming Sunday. And the defensive coordinator, we're sitting in a room with a full defensive staff. So linebackers, secondary coach, like all of the, the coaches on defense. And he went play by play, the coordinator did, and basically pointed out every inconsistency, mistake, oversight that I made um, in this scouting report. And um, I mean, this meeting lasted for four hours. 
<laughs> it was, and it was, it was, you know, he would, he would sprinkle some expletives here and there. And, uh, you know, that taught me a lot about humility. Um, you, you've got to, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I coach, so I, I coach executives now. I teach at the University of Texas, have a Center for Sports Leadership and Innovation. And I, I work with a lot of athletes who are either retired NFL players transitioning or they're about to retire. Mm-hmm. And especially during this time, they always ask me, like, how do I, like, what's the mindset I need to have right now? And I said, two, two traits come to mind and they are humility and agility. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got to be humble enough to say, I don't know what the fuck's going on. This is something that none of us have seen. Mm-hmm. And then two to say, you know, if there was ever a time in the history of mankind where I could try something and no one would give a damn, <laughs> it would be now. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> That's awesome. If you've been a longtime listener of my podcast, you might have heard me talk about electric muscle stimulation and the power dot and know that I'm a big fan of it. If you're not familiar, EMS uses electrical signals sent into your muscle to force contractions. Those contractions increase blood circulation. They'll flush waste from the muscles, increase the muscle's potential and hypertrophy. As a natural adjunct to your training, The PowerDot can help you relieve pain, recover faster, and improve your performance. I've been using this tool for a while now. I love it. It it does help me relieve pain from training. I recover a lot faster from my workouts. And most importantly for me, it accelerates me past training plateaus. And I can use this thing basically at home or uh, at my gym or even take it with me when I travel. It's a very small package and I can run it from my phone. The other thing I appreciate about is the education I get from within the app. I'm able to select the body part I want to focus on, the program that best suits my needs, and then the app prompts me with a pad placement and gives me additional tips on how to use it and ideas on best practices. I don't need a user manual. I don't need to search the internet to figure out how to use this thing. It's not surprising to me that PowerDot is being used by professional athletes around the globe from the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, MLS, and elite athletes from the Tour de France, Olympians, and CrossFitters, and special operators. So now, you can improve your physical training immediately with this smart muscle stimulator device, the PowerDot. They're now offering a 30-day at-home trial, and they're giving Unbeatable Mind listeners an additional 20% off for a limited time. So don't sit around waiting for this one. Go get it at powerdot.com, that's P-O-W-E-R-D-O-T dot com. Use the code unbeatable when you check out. So it's powerdot.com, use the code unbeatable when you check out. All right, go check it out. I think this is a great tool. Hoo-ya. So how do you know, I know from a sports standpoint, like agility is a learned skill. How do you think one can learn agility right now when they need to get it fast, right? Because you know, the, the, the old way isn't going to work anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so I think it's a three-part process right now. I think quickly, whether you are a solopreneur, you know, Fortune 500 company, whatever it may be, you've got to assess the situation. So again, take inventory of your assets. And I'm not talking about hard assets. I'm talking about human capital. Okay, so 
what can the people on your team do better than than people in other positions? How are you positioned in the marketplace? Then I think you have to adapt. And so in this way, I think of some of the some of the companies that I've seen who've made extraordinary pivots. Just in Austin, there's a a, a produce wholesaler. So they sell produce to restaurants. Mm-hmm. And they quickly found out that, damn, when restaurants close, the wholesaling business goes down, right? Right. In, instead of kind of, you know, um, putting up a sign and, 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 you know, going to try to get a loan and, and um, closing up shop, they have now pivoted to B2C where they are delivering boxes of produce to, to consumers. So my wife, she gets a shipment every week because we can't get it at the grocery store because of shortages. And I was talking with with one of the guys, with the, the delivery guy, and he said, you know what? Like we're getting close to our revenue targets with this new model. Wow. That's a quick pivot. Holy cow. Quick pivot. And I said, well, how'd you do it? He goes, you know what? We freaking put up an Instagram picture that said, hey, DM us if you want produce. Um, <laughs> I say, well, he goes, look, there were no systems in place. You know, we were not, you know, we, we weren't running our business on Shopify, right? But we said to ourselves, let's see if there's demand. And if there is, we'll figure the rest of it out later. Right. And that's what I love. I mean, I think there is there is a place in at this point right now to have some strategic recklessness. Yeah. In the sense of ready fire aim will actually work. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) You know, because um, you need to see what the market thinks. And if you get a bite, go for it. You'll figure it out. So I would say assess, adapt. And then the last thing I think you and I are on the same page is advance. Just make some forward progress. Don't overthink it. And if it doesn't work, make another pivot and, and hit the repeat button. Yeah. Right. You know, fear can be a huge distractor for people. How do you stay focused and ward off, you know, negativity? You know, yeah. shit goes down like this. Yeah. So a few things. One, I, I, I even before this chaos, I um I practice gratitude in the morning and at night. So, you know, my, my usual routine is I'm getting up at four forty five, I take a cold shower, I speak three points of gratitude to myself in the mirror. I go into my closet. Um, you know, I say I meditate. I tried to meditate, read a lot of books, was burning incense and all that shit. I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to go in my closet and try to get still for 10 minutes. That, that's, that's it. Good. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to try to breathe through the nose, out through the mouth, quiet my brain. I do that for 10 minutes and then I get a run in. And so I think gratitude is is the first thing. I think the second point that is critical, especially now is, you've got to control your content, right? So I will check the news. Yeah. Control you allow in, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to control your intake and, and I tell it, you know, there's a real thing called Instagram envy. So researchers are finding Mm -hmm. they're taking people, they're measuring their happiness levels before, you know, putting them through this experiment. Then they'll show the people their own Instagram timeline. So they'll show them the post from their own friends and then they'll come back in and they'll ask them the same questions about happiness. And, you know, the overwhelming majority, I think it's something like 82%, they're coming out of that experiment 
more depressed, more anxious, because, you know, you start looking at everyone else's sort of glossy cropped pictures and you think, <laughs> what the fuck am I doing with my life? Right. You know? <laughs> when I look right. in the mirror, that's not what I see. Right? That's not what I see. It's not how my life is going. You know, right now we're talking, I'm sitting in my, my wife's closet. <laughs> I, I took over half of the space. She's going to start charging me rent here pretty soon. This right. is my new studio. Because you know? <laughs> I, I can't go to my office at the University of Texas. Oh, so it's like, hey, I'm going to set up in your place. So I, I try to control, you know, I don't, I only look at the news once a day. I am very quick to unfollow or mute people on social media. I only have parts of the day when I'm on social media. So mm-hmm. I think just control, like the intake, like being very strategic about and in, well, strategic and intentional about saying, this is what I choose to consume on a daily basis. It, it can't be left up to let me just go and scroll. I think that's a critically important in a time like this or even outside of this period in order to really maintain your mindset. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, that's a big part of my practice. I took the TV out of my house like almost 20 years ago. So that's check, mm-hmm. right? That's a big one right there. Yeah. How, how was that? How was that transition? It was fine for me because I, you know, we watch certain things, but you know, then I've been a a meditator since 20 and, um, I found that the constant, the speed of the commercials and the repetition, it was, it literally hurt my head. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I just can't watch TV. And even nowadays I can't watch it. Like if I, if I go into a restaurant or something is playing, it's interesting to me because I, there is some value to TV where you can kind of keep a pulse on culture if you, if you use it properly. Mm. So sometimes I can be unplugged in that regard, but the benefits are far outweigh, you know, whatever, uh, downside. So just taking it out. And I, I, it taught me to do two things with the rest of the way I get my news. So usually I get my news by one, just by scanning headlines and I play opposite day with the headlines, right? So I read the headline and I think, what's the exact opposite? And then I think that that's probably closer to the truth. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then I have trusted sources who are like people that I know other people trust. So, you know, I don't want to be my own bias, you know, filter who do, you know, a, an analysis on what's going on. And so I, I have one who's like a geopolitician, George Friedman. I read his stuff and I, I have an economics guy named Maudlin. I really like, yeah. So I, and I get their stuff every day and I'm like, okay, this is kind of really interesting perspective. And then I'll even kind of like downgrade that by 10 or 20% because of their bias filters. So anyways, it's just a different way to consume and it's not getting drawn into the negativity and the constant distraction. I think that's part of it. Part of it is negativity. That's probably the worst part. The second part is you're constantly being distracted away from your own truth, your own reality, and what's really important, you know, with these different media sources. Yeah. You know, and and I love that. And I also, you know, I'm constantly reminded that, you know, the flip of that too, with the news cycle is also, you know, other people you know, there are so many people who have designs for your time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they have request and ask. And I would say the third thing for me is once I embrace the power of saying no, mm-hmm. you know, I was one of those guys like, oh, I don't want to disappoint them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't want them to think less of me. And I remember <laughs> two years ago, I was sitting in my in a parking lot about to head into one of these 
galas that I hate going to. I can't stand those. Either. So, you know, oh and I literally almost had a breakdown. I just, I just pulled out, pulled out of the, uh, the parking lot, and went home, and it was just like the, the thought of the scent of the chicken and the cheesecake and <laughs> fake conversations. I was like, "Fuck it, I'm going home." Uh, uh-huh. And I remember I, I sat down. And I wrote, "Okay, look, I'm only going to do at a maximum one dinner per month." I limited the number of like podcast interviews or in-person meetings or calls and Mark, man, my life changed. It was easy for me because now I said, Hey, I had this reason to say, Hey, here's my system. You know, I'm, you know, I I appreciate the opportunity, but here's what I've committed to, you know, let me know if in the, you know, if I could be a value in the future. And I walked away, you know, with, with that new mindset my life has changed like 10x. It did yeah, no. it for the better. Totally appreciate that. And it's very hard because I I've I, I basically stated I was gonna do that and it's part of what I teach. And I still say yes to shit that I don't want to <laughs> say yes to. And that, you know, I tell you what, this is another way to look at it. Like I, this has hit me in the face recently because I can't everything's been canceled for me right now. And I'm totally relieved. I'm like, yes, <laughs> right? Like, I don't have to go back and do that thing at my my reunion. And I don't have to go that do that. And I don't have to do that. And I'm like, I didn't want to do that stuff anyways, but I couldn't say no, <laughs> right? So yeah, like, no, what, are your, what are your criteria? Like, what's your secret to your success? So, so this is so funny because my, my mom calls me and, you know, I do like 60 keynotes a year and, you know, right. like trainings. And she's like, oh my gosh, Dan, I just know that, you're having a hard time dealing with this. And, um, <laughs> and you're like, Nope. I'm like, you know, I'm going to walk into my closet. I'm like, actually, mom, this is kind of great. She's like, what? <laughs> I said, you know, it's, it's been a learning lesson for me because I knew at the point to where I would look at the next week and say to myself, yes, I don't have to do this thing. Whatever it was. <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> What if we could put ourselves, here's, here's what I'm going to do from now on. And I'm stating this publicly before I say yes, I'm going to put myself into a future state and just say, am I excited that I'm getting on the plane to go do this thing? Right. Yes. Mark, that's what I no, do. They know. Oh, you do. Good. That, so tell us about that. No, so that, that I, I am a hundred percent honest about this. So this is what I do. And a, and a mentor man told me this. He said, okay, listen, whether in person or via email or phone call, never say yes on the spot. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, okay, he goes, just give yourself a chance, like create some space between stimulus and response. Right. You need that space. He said, the next thing I want you to do is I want you to visualize. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is like the corny, you know, close your eyes and see into the future. He goes, no, listen, visualize yourself getting off the plane walking into the ballroom, checking into the hotel, like walk through the experience, whatever it is. And then I then want you to take an inventory of your feeling. And Mark, I let me tell you something, man. Mm-hmm. Game changer. I bet. Because like, it's, it's, I feel like you, like, I think oftentimes because we make quick responses, like, yeah, I'll do that. Like the brain gets tricked into, yeah, I could probably do that. It'd be okay. But when you really slow the clock down, mm-hmm. you're like, oh shit, no, I don't want to connect in Minneapolis. Right. 
no, I don't want to go to another right <laughs> chicken dinner. And it's been, it's, I'm telling you, man, it, it is, it has changed my life. That one yeah. practice. I love that. And it's so easy to say yes to something that's down the road, you know, months and months. And you're like, yeah, whatever, you know, that that's, that's in the future. Yeah. And then as you get closer and closer, you're like, ah, uh. why, am I, why am I doing this again? Help remind me. Right. All right. So if you're listening, this is your, that's your, that's your new SOP. Never yes. say yes on the spot. Just be, say, let me think about it or let me check m- with my boss who's going to be your wife. Yeah. <laughs> and then visualize it. Walk, dirt, dirt dive it. I love that. I'm, I'm going to dirt dive it and feel into it. And if it's a, and the other, you know, and that, that's when you apply the saying that if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 you don't it's, feel like yeah. super excited. Like it's an honor for me to be there. Then no. Yeah, I tell you what, I mean, there there are a few articles that have really changed my uh, mindset and that Derek Seavers, you know, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. I've read that probably, it's probably one of the most shared articles for me that I kind of, whether it's students or execs, whatever it may be. And um, it's spot on because, Mm -hmm. and I've even gone, I've even done sort of a, a personal study I'll go three months back and I'll say, Hey, the things you committed to, did you want to do them? And then how did it turn out? And oftentimes we think that we're like, we're going to miss the big thing. Mm -hmm. That's very rarely the case, right? Like Mm -hmm. I am, I am happy with where I am because I have the time to funnel into the, like the craft that I want to become better at. If I keep saying yes, I'm, I'm, I got five kids, Mark, I'm out of time, man. I mean, right, you know, right. so yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Well, this has been awesome. I, I want to be sensitive to our time here, so we're going to wrap up, but, um, you're, um, so your book is called an audible and, uh, that's available. Is it available on audible? Speaking of that, since so many people are listening to audible nowadays or. Yes. Audible? Yep. So the audio books on audible, uh, ebook and also hard, hardcover okay. on um, Amazon. And do you have, uh, so you got the center of sports leadership and innovation and do you have a, like a personal website? What's your podcast? So let us know how to connect. Yeah. With you. Yeah. So, you know, I think the best way to connect with me, I love LinkedIn. Um, you know, it is of all the social media platforms, you know, 80% of my time is there. And then mm. the 20% is kind of on the other ones. So, you know, check me out on LinkedIn, just Darren K. Roberts. I'm at coach DKR on all other social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal website is just coachdkr.com. And so, um, and also, you know, so I've had a podcast, A Tribe Called Yes. Actually, tomorrow I'm launching a pop-up podcast, Mark. So this is mm-hmm. only a podcast that I'm going to run throughout this COVID-19 oh, craziness. Cool. Right. And it's called The Pivot Playbook. So, you know, I'm taking, um, bringing in business owners who've made pivots. Like I'm one of my first guests is a guy who had a uh, in-person trivia game that was shut down, and then he's gone virtual now and has doubled his revenue. So we're going to bring in business owners who've had to pivot during COVID and try to glean some lessons that you know the rest of us can use moving forward. Terrific, and and people can find out about that at your website. Yes, it'll be on the website. Awesome. 
Well, Darren, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate your humility and your insight. It's just been a really you know, pleasant conversation. Super likewise, enjoyable. likewise, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Who you are. Good luck with your pivoting. Yes, sir. Stay in the deep end. <laughs> Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, Darren uh, K. Roberts. Check him out at DarrenKRoberts.com. Check out his podcast and um, LinkedIn at Darren K. Roberts. Yeah, let's go support Darren. A great guy. And uh, for everyone out there who is struggling, well, this is time to breathe and to think about how you can pivot, how you can come out of this stronger. And for those of you who are thriving, let's turn our attention to helping others so that we all get through the stronger and, um, and let's not backtrack when it's over. Let's commit to um, opening up our hearts and being more connected and more inclusive and making the world a better place. Um, that's what we're going to try to do here at Unbeatable Mind. I appreciate your support. And uh, let's do this thing. Who we are, divine out. Sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frog.